Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of November 24th, 2020, and this is officially episode number 459, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com. And before I get rolling down this uh, paranormal hill, I want to stop and, and pause for a second and let everybody know uh, happy Thanksgiving coming up. It's, uh, wow, what a crazy year it's been here, uh, especially in the United States. I'm sure all over the world everyone has had uh, their ups and downs, uh, but uh, this is a, a pretty big holiday for Americans, and I don't know. I think we're maybe going about it the wrong way, but uh, people traveling and flying and driving to uh, places that they shouldn't really be with travel restrictions in place. But uh, people are trying to ignore the reality around us. But uh, either way, uh, hopefully you're visiting your close, immediate family or you're just uh, gathering as a family and uh, just being thankful for what we have and that uh, hopefully you've made it as unscathed as possible through this pandemic so far and uh, other news for the show the top 10 paranormal news stories of 2020 will be starting soon when i don't know still haven't figured that out i think i may start that uh, actually next week uh there is actually five tuesdays in december uh, so i may start the uh, the countdown officially next week uh so i'd throw two out a week that that way if i do miss one uh, we'll still wrap it up uh, and hopefully some news pops up in between all of that and uh, we'll see what happens and usually nothing really major happens once we hit december so i'm not really in fear of anything uh kicking something out of the top 10 although it's it's been pretty close i think i've only moved a story once since i've been doing the top 10 paranormal news stories of any year and so this show started way way back in uh, 2008 and this was a back then it was a monthly show uh, so we did uh, September October November December and then uh, the following two years I uh, was a, a segment on a monthly podcast on the paranormal called the Grand Dark Conspiracy and then we went weekly and that really sped things up uh, in 2010. And I, I don't remember exactly what year, I have to look at all my records, what year we actually started doing the, the top 10. I think it was 2010 when the show went uh, full time. And I kind of retro acted uh, the top three of 2008 and nine. 2008 was a, it had some big stories, but it, overall it was a pretty boring year. And every couple of years we have some boring years. I think this year was kind of just spread out. There was nothing – well, obviously there was a few major stories. But for the most part, a lot of little things have happened 
And it's really all rolled itself up into this 2020. A lot of strange things. And we got a lot of strange things tonight as well. A lot of UFO stuff. Things uh, almost colliding with jets and stuff falling out of the sky. And kind of a really, I think, maybe one of the most interesting stories of the year coming up tonight. About a discovery out in Utah. Um, And, of course, some very sad news about the... Arecibo telescope that we'll talk about and some potential news about the wow signal something we've been following here on the show for a long long time and of course when we're talking about ufos well president trump you know maybe he's gonna fill us in he's gonna let us well maybe he's not maybe he's not gonna let us know maybe he's not gonna disclose anything maybe he's just gonna close it and that's our lead-off story tonight here on the paranormal news insider we go straight to UFO news. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk a lot about the top 10 paranormal news stories. It's funny because, um, gosh, what was it, last year, somebody gave me a great idea of uh, writing a book for the uh, top 10 or just this about the show, all the stories I've talked about, hundreds of stories. Uh, like this year alone, I whittled down the top 10 uh, out of 35 stories, that may not sound like a lot, uh, but 35 stories from uh, probably 60 or 70 that I've covered just this year. And I've missed a lot of time. I missed, uh, I think, two or three weeks in January, a couple of weeks in the summertime when I moved. Uh, so eh, a few here and there. Uh, so I think all told, I probably hit maybe 40 episodes, something 42, 43, if I go all the way. Uh, so not a full, full year, but uh, quite a few stories this year. And if you go back uh, through the the 10 years, 12 years that I've been doing this show, that's just thousands of stories, literally. Uh, maybe hundreds of stories, maybe a thousand stories or so. Uh, some years I have 70, 80 stories or, or more. So uh, lots of stuff throughout the years. And I thought about writing a book, but uh, unfortunately... Um, not smart enough to back stuff up in the cloud. And I, I lost a lot of my information. Um, although I could go through and listen to all my archives, which is available, and get all the information there. But I had all my background links and photographs and uh, storylines and things. Uh, it's not all lost. Just my top, or just the uh, filler in between all the top tens. I have all the top tens going back since the beginning of the show, but uh, all the other stories, a lot of them are gone, which kind of uh, took the wind out of my sails for doing a top 10 of all time. But uh, we may talk about that. We may go big for uh, this top 10 countdown, and we may do the top 10 of all time. I think somebody asked me to do that last year, so maybe I'll I'll dig into that because I've got it pretty well organized how it's going to work. But back to the news. UFO news, and, you know, it's kind of funny. Headlines, when you read a headline, uh, they're designed to grab your attention. And sometimes they don't really tell you the truth. Sometimes they twist it in the favor of getting you to just click on that link. I think that we call that clickbaiting, right? Well, the story that I'm going to talk about is uh, also about the big word, the buzzword, if you will, in UFOs, and that is disclosure. 
So what does the government know about UFOs? Well, a lot of people think they know everything and they have stuff locked away. They have secrets that if uh, mankind or humankind were to find out, it would rattle everybody. Uh, we'd burn everything down to the ground and loot every pair of Nikes that we could out of, of uh, big screen TVs we could out of every store. It would just be complete uh, pandemonium. But my opinion, I don't think they know much of anything. I think they know just about as much as everybody else. That's just how I think. Uh, but the general public, yeah, they seem to think there's a gold mine of information just waiting to be spilled out. So the headline for the story, uh, the one that I've chosen to, uh, to talk about, there's a few variations out there if you look at it. Uh, the headline for this one is from Popular Mechanics. And it says, Trump may block the public from learning about the truth of UFOs. Actually, no, it says, Trump may block the public from learning the truth about UFOs. Uh, that's what it says. Uh, well, the headline is true, but not the intent behind the information of the article. So it's kind of misleading, more or less. Uh, so President Trump is threatening to veto the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act. Everything is an acronym in the government. NDAA. you got to have an extra A. You can't have NDA because that just sound, stands for something else. Uh, if he does veto this, I don't think he's done much of anything in the last three weeks except for pouting. Well, he did pardon the, the turkey this year named corn. It's going to be a trivia topic later on probably. But he hasn't done much of anything. So uh, we'll see. And he's not a big UFO fan to begin with. But this is about the National Defense Authorization Act. So if he does veto this, it could limit the information the general public gets about unidentified aerial phenomena, which is the 2020 version of UFO. But either way, I, I don't see any information about unidentified aerial phenomena getting published readily anyway. So in the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA. Uh, the budget and policies for the U.S. military are outlined, which includes pay raises and funding for new equipment, uh, among other things. Hey, give them a pay raise. They deserve it. Uh, they, there also exists wording for the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, UAPTF. Uh, according to the article in June's Intelligence Authorization Act, IAA, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, of course, SSCI, uh, authorized appropriations for fiscal year 2021 for the UAPTF and supported its efforts to reveal any links that unidentified aerial phenomena, quote, have to adversarial, I'm sorry, adversarial foreign governments and the threat they pose to U.S. military assets and installations. That's what it says here. Uh, in the Intelligence Authorization Act, the Select Committee on Intelligence said, quote, it remains concerned there is no unified comprehensive process within the federal government for collecting and analyzing intelligence on unidentified area phenomena despite the potential threat, unquote. Uh, and so it directed the task force to report its findings on UAP, 
including observed airborne objects that have not been identified. So obviously not some sort of jet or air, other aircraft that we can identify easily. So it doesn't necessarily mean UFOs in our context of the word. Could be uh, drones or other military objects of foreign countries that we just don't know about. And all that information needs to be disseminated and put out, maybe not so much publicly if it's top secret information, but within 180 days is the outline for this. So back in July, the Senate passed the NDAA, which had the language in the IAA. Uh, the House's version that also passed in July did not include the IAA. Uh, so the Senate repassed a version last week under House Bill number HR 6395 that does include the IAA and the instructions for the UAP task force. Should have just said UAPTF. Uh, does this mean that the government has information about alien technology flying around our skies? Maybe somebody doesn't want this information getting out, so they're going to try not to get this passed. Not necessarily. I, I don't think there's any dark motive or, um, you know, people sneaking around making deals so this stuff doesn't get passed or, you know, whatever else, you know, X-Files type thing that you might be thinking. Um, I mean, this bill really seems as though it's geared toward detection of technology used by other countries against the United States, more so than de uh, detecting UFOs of alien origin, in my opinion. Uh, certainly, most of these incursions would go as being top secret in access, uh, probably would not be available to the general public. You know, they put that little top secret stamp on there, goes in a file, goes in a box, goes in a crate. And that crate goes into a warehouse kind of like Indiana Jones. Top eyes, top scientists looking at this. And uh, nobody really sees it for years. But really. But when you step back from the story, it sounds all, you know, dark and mysterious that uh, we're trying not to get this thing. And now the president's not going to. Uh, approve this. Well, why? You know, we want disclosure. We want to know why you guys aren't going to tell us stuff about the UFOs. And maybe it's because this is, you know, this is bordering on national security. I mean, think about it. If, um, let's say, perchance, we get uh, information about drones off the coast of Florida from uh, China or somebody else. Uh, spying on people at the beach. You know, I think that's going to panic some people. It's going to make some people uh, a little afraid and may, you know, make people want to uh, go to war or be very nervous about things. So, yeah, you know, this is where we get into the national security thing. But what about Trump saying he's going to veto the National Defense Authorization Act? Is it about UFOs? I'm sorry, UAPs? Or IAAs or ABCs, I don't even know anymore what these letters are. Is it about alien secrets? No, actually, all of this is uh, because, ah, boy, because the bill has a bipartisan amendment that intends to rename military bases that are named after 
Confederate leaders. Yikes. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. So not about UAPs, UFOs, USOs. Thank you for that one, too. Uh, so, yeah, we're still talking about these military base things. I don't know. I guess we are. Anyway, so speaking of UFOs, we've got UFOs all over the place lately. Um, I guess uh, it's an easier topic to talk about. And I'm sure a lot of people who have followed UFOs for years can attest to the fact that when you hear about UFO stories nowadays, there seems to be uh, a seriousness to it. There seems to be, you know, an, a non-jovial attitude towards them. And if you would have uh, easily go back even three or four years, probably not even that far, and listen to a story on the news about a UFO, uh, generally it's it's crammed in there at the last minute. You know, after the sportscaster and and weather anchor get their last little jokes in for the night and, you know, maybe flirting with the the uh, newscaster at the desk there, whatever's going on. And they just happen to cram this story in. Of course, they kick in the X-Files theme song and they all laugh and giggle about it. You know, maybe the sports guy, the sports anchor takes it a little bit too seriously, but everyone else is just laughing at him. And it's always a big joke, right? But nowadays... It's actually pretty serious, and I think that's why we're starting to see some of these stories pop in a little bit more. Granted, there's a lot of people out there that are taking advantage of the fact that people want to read about these things and kind of fabricating things. But this one is a genuine sighting, and it's a pretty scary one. Granted, is it a UFO in the context of an alien craft? I don't know. So in Leeds, which is in England, United Kingdom— uh, Leeds Bradford Airport in the United Kingdom. It was the site of a near collision between a packed Boeing 737 jet and an unidentified flying object. The plane was preparing to land back on September 1st of this year when it almost struck head-on by an unknown object. Air Prox, the UK Civil Aviation Authority that investigates, monitors, uh, and investigates near-miss events, which really AirProx is actually kind of the, the name for that kind of stuff, uh, that the they say that the object passed by the jet at less than three meters. Is that what uh, Luke used to shoot? Uh, uh, anyway, uh, or I guess that's less than 10 feet from the aircraft. That's pretty close for a 737. Uh, Airprox stated, quote, both pilots suddenly saw a bright light and an object which appeared to be moving toward the aircraft almost head on, slightly up and to the left. The object appeared without warning and there was no time to act, unquote. Now, a police helicopter had reported seeing sky lanterns floating in the area but the pilots do not believe what they encountered was a sky lantern. So was this an alien spacecraft? Probably not. I mean, we've uh, had a lot of stories over the years of UFOs appearing at airports. I'd say Chicago O'Hare was a pretty big one. Uh, but we also had the Shaoxian China airport shut down, I think, twice over UFO claims. Uh, but Airprox 
but they're convinced that the object was more than likely a drone. Yeah, drone. Drone is like the 21st century swamp gas. I mean, even sky lanterns are kind of the new thing, too, to, to uh, explain away UFOs, but quite possible. Uh, now, Airprox has reported over 400 incidents involving drones and commercial jets in the past five years. In fact, just three days prior to the, these events that I just described, a drone came within a meter or three feet of a jet taking off from Manchester Airport, according to The Sun. So it's a, it's a big issue with this, but uh, interesting that nobody could identify this object, that you know, the pilots would have immediately said that they saw this thing um, but I'm sure they have technology to track these things. Uh, these drones are a big problem and very illegal to fly in certain areas. And certainly, uh, I mean, it's a big hunk of plastic. doesn't have the, the weight and velocity at times that uh, a bird or other objects uh, that could do severe damage to these jets. Um but I think I would go with the drone thing because I think a lot of people like to film jets or get uh, a little too close to places like this. that don't really know too much about the Leeds-Bradford airport to know about the vicinity, uh, the immediate area around it. But, um, I, you know, people just get curious and, and they do things like this, which uh, could put people's lives in jeopardy. So hopefully... Hopefully it is a UFO and not a drone because that would be, just be pretty sad. And speaking of strange things flying around, sometimes they don't fly for long. And if they don't hit uh, airplanes, maybe they do still crash to the ground. And that's where our next story takes us. Actually takes us out to the deserts of Arizona. We're going to spend a little time in the desert, if you don't mind. Watch out for uh, snakes and other bitey things. Uh, so I hesitated. I kind of contemplated putting this in the UFO section, uh, but it kind of ties into a second story that doesn't actually belong. Well, you know what? Now that I think about it, it could go in the UFO. Both of these could go in the UFO section the more I'm thinking about this. But anyway, it's too late for that. We're already in the other news section. And hopefully this uh, this object is identified, if it hasn't been already. I'm pretty sure it has. I haven't heard any updates, which is really annoying when a story hits and it's fairly popular for a day or two and everybody copies the story. Then all of a sudden you don't hear anything about it. Uh, so anyway, in a remote area in a reservation in Arizona, Navajo Nation officials have stated that a large object landed on November 18th in a small community, so out there in the middle of nowhere in, in Arizona, in the protected land, Navajo Nation land. And according to the Arizona Republic newspaper, Tully Begay, vice president of the tribe's Nanahotso chapter, stated the object landed about 1,200 feet from his home. And no, I don't know how many meters that is. I'm sure it's quite a few, like 3,000 meters. Uh, the object was gray, and in the photographs taken of the object, uh, there appeared to be four large solar panels attached to it. There's also an orange object 
ooh, what's this orange object? Well, this orange object attached to the gray object appears to be a parachute. And I do have a picture of that. Uh, quite a few pictures tonight as we get into this news. If I can find where it is. Oh, there it is. Uh, so this strange object lands. And, you know, they're probably one of the first reactions is go up to it, poke it with a stick. It's usually what you do. You poke things with a stick. So if you're in the chat room, uh, you can see the uh, image of this object. Definitely looks like solar panels. Definitely looks like uh, this thing was flying around. Now, there's some speculation that this could be a satellite. I don't think so. Um, the Navajo Police Department did confirm that officers responded to the scene and stated that there were no physical injuries or property damage. It looks like it just landed in the desert. Uh, the cause of the crash is unknown because we don't even know what the object is. And the object was released to a company called Polar Field Services. So I don't know if this company showed up or when they were poking it with a stick, they noticed that there was a, a 800 number that they could call, something to that effect, or a website that they can uh, enter this stuff in. And according to their company website, uh, Polar Field Services is a Colorado-based firm that specializes in providing logistics and support for expeditions to locate locations in extreme climates. Hmm. Uh, one possibility is the object is a high-altitude weather balloon or high-altitude balloon. Uh, my opinion, maybe for mapping, tracking, Wi-Fi, I don't know. I don't really can't really identify what's on that um, piece of tech there. There's a bunch of stuff attached to those solar panels. So I don't know. It's it looks like it's kind of weather related, in my opinion, but uh, did land there on its side. And the panels kind of do look a little bent up, but uh, I'm sure that thing. Oh, it's hard to tell that how big that parachute is because it's way behind it. It's probably a pretty big parachute. Um, but there's also speculation, like I said, that this is a satellite. But, you know, with a parachute attached to it, I don't think that's very likely. Even a low-altitude um, satellite getting jostled out of its position is, is going to tumble. It's going to burn up. It's just going to disintegrate. Uh, this looks in pretty good condition for falling. Uh, and granted, having a parachute would mean that it's probably, um, you know, maybe that was actually a balloon at one point, and it just collapsed, and it crashed. Now, there's been stories about these things crashing in the past, these uh, high-altitude weather balloons. Um, there's a lot of stuff attached to that, so uh, who knows? But uh, there's been no mention of this, again, I've been waiting and watching and searching for anything about this polo field services to, to say anything. And they, they probably won't because they don't want people to think that the, whatever they do is dangerous. Certainly one of, one of those landing on my car when I went out to work in the morning, that would be fun. Uh, not so much. Uh, so yeah, that story might not sound that interesting. Okay. I get it. I get it. But uh, it's a, it's a, kind of a precursor to this next story that is slowly, 
just unraveling. It's getting a lot of attention, like literally in the last few hours. And the story broke yesterday. Uh, but uh, and the one that I just mentioned, I wasn't even going to include tonight. Wasn't going to talk about it. But this next story kind of ties in pretty closely to it about strange objects in the desert. So I just felt like it's natural. Um, but now let's go from Arizona all the way over to Utah. So an, another object has been discovered in the deserts of Utah. It's a little bit more peculiar, especially the way it was discovered. Not just a bunch of guys hanging out, drinking beer, and seeing a thing fall to the ground. No. The Utah Highway Patrol was assisting in counting bighorn sheep while using a helicopter. That's pretty cool in and of itself. But someone in the helicopter spotted something strange sticking out of the desert floor that appeared to be shiny. So what do they do? Well, they landed the helicopter and all took off single file to go find this object. And what did they discover? Again, they're out of the middle of nowhere in the desert. No roads, no houses, no cars, uh, nothing. Just uh, bighorn sheep. And uh, they approach this object. They go down into a kind of a, I don't want to call it a canyon, but it's kind of a small, I'll show you some pictures here in a second, in the chat room. So that's it's a, it's an added bonus, folks. If you're not in the chat room, you're missing out to this other dimension of these stories, pictures. Um, so they go down into this little canyon, probably fills up with water during the wet season, if there is a wet season out here. And they discovered this large metal monolith sticking up out of the ground. Uh, definitely machined, definitely something that was created by somebody. It's not natural. And it's uh, sticking out of the ground, about 10 to 12 feet above the ground. This isn't something that landed, wasn't something that uh, fell out of the sky or anything like that. It's just stuck in the ground. And I'll show you, uh, here's a picture of them. It's, they're kind of walking toward it here in this first picture. Uh, so you see there's, uh, well, you see all three of the, the uh, helicopter, three of the four helicopter crew walking down in this little canyon towards this metal object on the floor of the desert. And again, they estimated this thing to be 10 to 12 feet high, and I'll show you how they measured it here in a second. But uh, as they get closer, they, uh, it's, it's just weird. This weird thing sticking there in the desert. They get a little closer, and again, I'll show you. Here's a picture that shows definitely this thing is in the ground. It wasn't something that landed. So you can see it's buried. There's no writing. There's no etching. There's no nothing on it. It's just smooth, almost like aluminum. And they're not sure what it is, where it's from. There's no 1-800 number on it. There's no identification. There's no copyright. There's no signature. No nothing on this thing. And I'll show you. Here's this pretty cool picture here of how they kind of estimated its height. Kind of weird. Kind of funny. Uh, but it shows you how big this thing is. 10 to 12 feet. Yeah, the guys were standing on each other's shoulders measuring this thing. I guess they were just looking on top of it to see if there was any 
Uh, at first, I thought it might be something, you know, maybe for satellites or something electronic for, I don't know for what, but uh, weird. Uh, it was actually, these screenshots are from a video that they shot, and uh, some of these screen caps have been shared on a lot of stories. It's, like I said, this story is gaining a lot of traction. It was kind of funny when I read about it yesterday. I thought, yeah, you know, it's a pretty interesting story. Maybe I'll talk about it. And then this morning, holy smokes, there's 15, 20 different uh, places recovering this story, and it's starting to gain a lot of traction with uh, some of the bigger news outlets this afternoon and this evening. Uh, the Utah Highway Patrol posted pictures of their sheep counting uh, along with uh, some ground-level uh, photography of the strange object, just a really basic photo that was kind of didn't really show much of it. I don't know why they did that, but uh, a short video and some photographs were later posted. Uh, they did an interview, basically, and it showed the object in the small canyon, and that it was as tall as two of their sheep spotters, as you see in that third picture there. So, uh, weird. Now, it's rectangular... It's kind of almost like a square piece, but it's rec you know long rectangular, like a big uh, chunk of metal. I don't know how to explain it, like a giant two by four made out of metal. Uh, it's surely not natural, so it's not something that just uh, was exposed by weather. But the big question is why it's stuck in the ground out of the middle of nowhere in the Utah desert. Again, if this thing weighs a lot, how would it have gotten out there? Somebody got dragged it out in a four-wheeler out there, put it on top of their Jeep and took it out there. And who put it there? That's the big question, or the big questions. And so far, the Utah Highway Patrol is not speculating on what the object is, but they seem to actually be leaning toward... This is kind of a, a giveaway, and if you've read about the story, you've probably heard this uh, part of it, but... They are leaning toward this being just a, a random piece of art. And they're not revealing the location of the object either out of safety. And they probably don't want somebody digging it up and dragging it through the desert, stealing it, whatever. Uh, but it's it's in kind of a precarious location. So they don't want people going out there and getting injured, stung by scorpions or rammed by bighorn sheep or whatever. Uh, but it's somewhere in southern Utah. And I'm sure it won't be long. Until somebody finds us on Google Earth. That's a good idea. Maybe that's what I'll do tonight. Uh, so some commenters pointed out the eerie similarity to the monolith scenes in 2001, A Space Odyssey, which is kind of strange because when I saw that, I was like, I've seen that somewhere. It's in a movie. And then as soon as I read that, it was like, oh, that's right. So it should be noted as well that Utah has uh, artwork in the desert in strange remote places. It's kind of known for that. And if you know anything about Utah, you've been out there, there is strange stuff like this all over the place out there, even in the most remote portions of the desert. So this isn't completely unprecedented, but it's still odd. And it's just uh, really weird. And uh, we'll see. This, Like I said, this story is still blowing up out there. I'm, it's kind of surprising that uh, there's so much attention to uh, this monolith thing. But I think it's stories like this that kind of define the paranormal, uh, the paranormal news anyway, for 
not having answers. It's frustrating. And that's one of the things that led me to the the paranormal is trying to figure things out, trying to get an answer to things, and especially doing a show like this. Uh, I always keep a book of stories that don't have answers or haven't been solved. And there's a lot that kind of, we're not 100%, but usually when you're 60, 40, at least you can kind of lean in a direction. And there's very few stories left, but now I have to jot this one down uh, that uh, what is this monolith? And yeah, I'm sure if uh, people dig this thing up, uh, yeah, I want to know how much it weighs. If you can drag it off, you can fly it away. But man, how did that thing get there? It's pretty weird. And if you look at the canyon, I'm sure it fills up with water. So this thing would have been underwater or partially underwater, but it doesn't show any marks. I don't know. I'm just confused. The more I think about it, the more perplexing it is. <sighs> weird stuff. But man, I got to know. I need to figure this out. If I have to go out there and dig it up myself, I, I might. I need to know. Uh, but we'll see. I'm sure um, as the story gains traction, if there's an artist out there that put it there, maybe they'll step forward and maybe they'll uh, let us know. I don't think it's in any kind of park or protected lands. So as long as that's not the case, they should be okay. Probably won't be uh, sued or anything like that. But I don't think the Utah Highway Patrol wants anybody going out there and checking this thing out. Uh, from what I've read, it's in a kind of a dangerous area. So they don't, they don't want people traveling out there. It might be pretty far away from uh, civilization. And it's uh, you know rocky outcrop and stuff like that. So stay away and... Uh, Keep the keep the mystery the the mystery mysterious. I guess is the, uh, the thing. And speaking of mysteries, well, one mystery that uh, was kind of perplexing me for the last few weeks is uh, now officially over. There's no more mystery surrounding the Arecibo radio telescope. Uh, it's very sad to see this story pop up on my news feed. Uh, to me, this is probably the biggest news story last week. The announcement uh, Thursday last week that the Arecibo radio telescope will not be repaired after the uh, two cables were damaged and that it would soon be decommissioned or otherwise destroyed. And it was the worst kind of update to a story uh, that I could imagine and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. As uh, back in August, a cable that helps support a 900-ton platform above the 1,000-foot diameter spherical reflector dish that sits in a natural sinkhole, well, it slipped out of its socket, causing damage to the dish. Then engineers uh, came in, and they felt like, well, the structure is pretty stable, and uh, we just need to figure out a way to get it repaired. But then on November 6th, another cable broke, which was uh, one of the main cables holding the giant platform in place. This cable then damaged other cables and smashed even more aluminum panels on the dish below. Uh, while experts were hopeful to get the initial cable break repaired, they were now in doubt after this second occurrence. And the observatory suffered relatively minor damage following 2017's Hurricane Maria uh, granted one of the uh, instruments on that platform was damaged and actually fell 
from the platform down and uh, smash some some stuff. But uh, overall, uh, no cable problems. It, it seemed like it was okay. Uh, but then this year, earlier this year in January, there was a whole bunch of earthquakes that uh, you know shook the location. I think there's been earthquakes pretty much every year in that in that re- kind of remote area of Arecibo and Puerto Rico, but uh, no major damage reported. Uh, just minor things, but you know when things shake, things get blown around. Things are that old. Things happen. Uh, the observatory had still not been repaired for the damage caused by Maria, let alone these these earthquakes. Uh, but the engineers had been looking at the structure to make sure it was sound before letting people uh, go back in there. But uh, many fi- uh, scientists feared since repairs would cost more than the annual budget uh, that this might be the end of the telescope. And they've been saying that since uh, Hurricane Maria hit when some of the, the minor damage was caused that uh, things had shifted financially for the uh, telescope. So it seemed like, you know, NASA backed out and the NSA was the only one, or the NSF was the only one really giving money for this. And it didn't look good back then. And so when the second cable broke, uh, a lot of scientists uh, feared the worst. And unfortunately, this worst was founded. Uh, This latest damage, the National Science Foundation determined there would be no way to repair the observatory without putting workers at risk of complete collapse. Now, three separate engineering reports went into the decision and questions remained about how and why the initial cable broke and with a second cable breaking due to pressure shifting on the platform, the decision to repair would not only be dangerous, but also costly. So, you know, when we're talking about money, investing in this project, uh, reinvesting in this is one thing, but you talk about safety. Uh, this is a structure built, you know, this isn't like a bridge. This isn't like a, a building. This is a... Uh, kind of a one-of-a-kind kind of structure. There's other ones that are similar to it, but not exactly like this design. And with all the things that have happened to this location over the years and just the the, the metal deterioration, rust, and things like that, they, they just uh, had to do what they had to do. It's too dangerous to use anymore. Uh, it would be extremely, it cost millions of dollars to repair. And even then, how do you repair it? You basically have to take the whole thing apart and rebuild it from scratch. There's no way to – you can't just fly a helicopter and hold 900 tons in the air while you restring cables over a quarter of a mile. It's just not not going to happen. Uh, so they've decided to shut it down, and they're going to ultimately implode this thing and destroy parts of it. And they hope to save some parts of the observatory. They're not going to destroy the whole entire thing. Uh, the director of NSF – NSF's Division of Astronomical Sciences, where he stated, quote, the telescope is currently at serious risk of unexpected, uncontrolled collapse. According to engineers' assessments, even attempts at stabilization or testing the cables could result in accelerating the catastrophic failure. Engineers cannot tell us the safety margin of the structure, but they have advised NSF that the structure will collapse in the near future on its own, unquote. So even if they did nothing, 
which is kind of what they've been doing. They've actually been flying drones around this structure, uh, taking photographs, using different equipment to measure uh, the metal and, and look for uh, damage. Uh, it's not been good news. There's really no good news about all the data gathered. Uh, sockets have shown breakage and some slippage, which has led experts to believe the structure is, yes, like they said, going to collapse on its own, even if left untouched. Uh, and if they attempt to fix it or keep it from slipping anymore, it still looks like it's just going to collapse. Uh, I mean, it's it's old. It's just it's been through a lot. And like I said, it's a one-of-a-kind structure. Uh, so now a controlled demolition is being carefully planned that will more than likely include explosives. Uh, the decision is based completely upon the impending collapse of the structure and not by the work done by the telescope. I've seen some stuff that was put out about that that nobody cares about aliens or something to that effect, but no, it's it's about the structure itself. Uh, it's happened in the past at different um, telescopes similar to this one, uh, but uh, it's a very sad ending to a very illustrious telescope that's uh, had a pretty good history, I think. And here's, uh, in the chat room, there's an overview of the giant platform suspended by all these cables over the dish uh, those aluminum panels you can see there's a lot of them damaged after one of the cables broke and fell to the ground uh, very sad very sad indeed uh, with this uh, impending collapse and yeah Ursebu actually has a waiting list of research projects uh, it's been instrumental in tracking near-Earth objects. It's been a, a key piece of discovery since it was turned on way back in November of 1963. Um, the district was born out of the idea of actually anti-ballistic missile defense. It was designed around studying the Earth's ionosphere, but it was actually built 10 times too large to actually carry out that research. So enhancements to the early design allowed it to function much easier with radar and radio astronomy, for which it became famous for. Now, Arecibo has been at the heart of many discoveries through the decades, including neutron stars, binary pulsars, as well as the first exoplanets discovered, in addition to the first repeating fast radio burst, well, among many other discoveries and firsts. Uh, it's probably known most for the 1974 Arecibo message that was sent out into space as part of the celebration behind a remodel of the observatory. Uh, this message was designed by Frank Drake. Yes, not the singer, but the, uh, the man behind the Drake equation with help from Carl Sagan. And Arecibo was used for many SETI projects, uh, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence projects and programs, including the SETI at Home project, which was also decommissioned earlier this year. There's another story that we talked about. Uh, the observatory was also part of pop culture as it appeared in the James Bond movie, Golden Eye, the movie Contact, as well as Species, probably my favorite of the three, uh, which was actually the basis. Yes, believe it or not, the movie Species was the basis for what would be the first witness to a chupacabra in 1995. Well, it wasn't really a chupacabra. It was the thought that the movie and story behind the Arecibo 
uh, observatory were actually real. That it received an alien message and there was an alien DNA, blah, blah, blah. Just watch the movie. It's pretty good. Uh, Arecibo also appeared in the first episode of the second season of The X-Files. That was uh, titled Little Green Men, if I remember correctly. Uh, Arecibo was the largest facility in the world. I said was. Uh, that could use planetary radar. And what is planetary radar? Well, this enables the observatory to blast radar beams at near-Earth objects or even nearby planets. And this allowed the data to help in tracking potential collisions with Earth in the future. And now we don't have that. But other facilities can do this, but none match the power and ability of Arecibo. Now, we talked uh, earlier this year about China's 500-meter aperture spherical telescope which is fast, 500-meter aperture spherical telescope, fast, get it, uh, which came online back in 2016. Uh, it's got more power than Arecibo and is much larger, but Arecibo is a one-of-a-kind. It, it, this uh, fast doesn't have the flexibility that Arecibo had to do different things. And, uh, yeah, fast made the news earlier this year as it began its search for life in outer space after a few years of doing other things. Uh, Arecibo still has data that's being moved to servers outside of the danger zone because if that tower falls, uh, that's where the, the stuff is, like right below that. There's where the there's a uh, control center down there, so you don't want that to happen. Uh, but there's data still there that they're going to move, which means there could still be more discoveries to come from this observatory, even after it's gone. No plans have put in, put into place as to when this is going to be demolished. Right now they've brought, uh, I don't know, more than one contractor out there to observe this, to try and figure out how they're going to get that uh, main piece down. Uh, of course, uh, all those things down there at the bottom, just aluminum panels, so that'll all come out pretty easy. And, uh, man, that'll be it. But they are going to keep parts of that observatory intact. Uh, it's a very pretty big science area science center a lot of different scientists go down there for research uh, so they don't want to lose that and it does provide a little bit of uh, financial means to the uh, surrounding countryside which there's not really a whole lot in Arecibo but uh, it's just really really super sad to me that uh, they're going to destroy all that and uh, it's a lot of heavy metal all going to come crashing down. I'm not looking forward to, to pictures of that, but uh, it's going to make me cry. But it's inevitable. And speaking of things cracking and falling apart, I don't know how this segue is going to work. Well, let's just say SETI. Let's use SETI as the uh, segue to this last story of the night. So SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Well, one of their main... Uh, I guess you call it a benchmark, is the wow signal. It was collected back in 1977. And uh, that's come under scrutiny a little bit in the last few years. It was one of the top stories a few years ago in the top 10 paranormal news stories. Uh, the 72-second signal was recorded on August 15, 1977, at the Big Ear Radio Telescope in Delaware, Ohio, about two hours away 
no, not even two hours away from where I sit. Now the signal was quick but powerful, and an earthly origin was ruled out almost immediately. Uh, Jerry Amon, who analyzed the data, circled the numbers in the margin and wrote, wow, with an exclamation point and a red marker in the margin. Uh, unfortunately, the signal never repeated itself, and the wow signal was never solved. Uh, it's just lingered out there in history as uh, potentially the biggest possible communication from an alien intelligent life form. But new research gathered by the Gaia Space Observatory, launched by the European Space Agency way back in 2013, might have opened the door to some candidates to explain this. Uh, amateur astronomer Alberto Caballero, Caballero, something like that, got, he got to the idea of analyzing 3D maps of the 1.3 billion stars 1.3 billion stars uh, created by the observatory uh, and found one candidate that matches our sun in radius in luminosity and in temperature the match to our sun is located in the constellation sagittarius and is about 1800 light years away granted there are 66 other stars that could also be identified as potential candidates but uh, in addition to others that have yet to be cataloged by the observatory, I'm sure. And this also doesn't mean that the star identified, known as 2MASS192819-82-2640123, is the actual location where the signal came from. They need a, a different name for that. It's a little weird. Uh, the star, however, is a good launching point to look for potential exoplanets to see maybe, just maybe, the signal did come from the solar system, and if it was generated by an intelligent species. Uh, this article from uh, Discover Magazine also does not discuss the work of Professor Antonio Paris, who published his work in 2017 that stated that uh, comets were actually the culprit of the WOW signal. Uh, these comets were unknown at the time to be in the area. They were undiscovered. Uh, so astronomers had no idea they were there. So he thought that these uh, hydrogen signals were caused by these comets. However, many scientists, including Jerry Amon, who uh, was the person who uh, documented the WOW signal, uh, dismissed this as uh, a possibility, even if aliens are not the cause. Uh, the... Uh, yeah, the comet hypothesis doesn't fly with a lot of scientists, even ones that don't think it was created by aliens. Uh, I was able to visit the Perkins Observatory in Delaware, Ohio, in early 2016, uh, when this, this Paris story was breaking, and he was talking about doing the work in 2017. I was afraid that uh, he may solve it, and kind of hopeful at, at some you know, some part of me kind of hoped that uh, the answer would come from that, uh, although I'm not convinced either. I think it was a good effort and it was a good hypothesis, but I don't think it accurately uh, explains this away. So I went to the Perkins Observatory, and it's the only remaining remnant of the Ohio State University Radio Observatory, 
which is also known as the Big Ear. Uh, so there's, we went to, uh, it was called the Cloudy Night Observatory. They got a little telescope in there. It's not really giant. It's pretty small, actually, from what I've seen uh, in observatories in the past. Uh, but I wasn't there for that. I wasn't there to uh, stand and look at this hole in the ceiling at the full moon. I didn't care about that. I came there for this small room. I had a little sign hanging above it. It said ET Radio. And in that little room sat the original computer that was used to uh, download and, and basically interpret this signal. So I got a picture of that share in the chat room. It's very excited. Uh, so there's the WOW signal computer. Now, this computer was actually used uh, for years in the uh, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence program at the Big Ear Radio Telescope. And also on the wall in that room, pretty much right behind, well, behind where I was taking that picture, uh, is a large color copy of the original printout of the WOW signal hanging on the wall. And uh, that was really cool to see. I've seen the printout before. I mean, obviously, images of the printout. The printout is, the original printout is actually archived in a museum in Columbus, Ohio. I've not been able to see that yet. It's on my bucket list eventually when things break. But there's a giant color copy. And they actually wrote in the margin. Uh, I don't know if he wrote in the margin of the color copy or that copy or the original copy or this copy, but he revisited that back in 1999. I think it was actually the one in the big ear. He still lives in the area somewhere. He was a volunteer for SETI. Uh, there's also a lot of information in the, in that room about SETI. Also uh, stuff about the former radio telescope. There's the, the last remnants of the uh, metallic. It's like chain mail that they had for this thing. Uh, hanging on the wall, a lot of old pictures of the Big Ear Radio Telescope, and even some MUFON journals lying about that I read. Um, now, the Big Ear Radio Telescope conducted the longest-running full-scale search for extraterrestrial intelligence, lasted from 1972 until 1995. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. Or they just call it Guinness Book of Records now, I think. Uh, the telescope was dismantled and sold for scrap back in 1998 as the property was sold and a golf course expanded in its place. Now, hopefully that's not going to happen at Arecibo. It's probably going to be a playpen for Chupacabras. We shall see. Very sad with the, uh, the telescope. But this uh, wild signal thing, I don't know. I think it's kind of very speculative. We won't have any answer to that until... Uh, some new telescopes are probably launched, or maybe the this uh, fast telescope could do a survey of that area, the Sagittarius area, and maybe do a sky survey. And who knows? Maybe down the road, the wow signal may mean something. And let's see, no book of the week this week, but I do have a, a shout out uh, about a book that I ordered. I know it's too close to Christmas to be ordering my own books, but I had to anyway. Uh, it's by Benjamin Radford, and I had to get this book. It's called Big If True, Adventures in Oddity, and uh, covers a lot of 
strange stuff out there. And I had to get my autograph copy, advanced copy. Had to get it quick. Uh, if you're interested in that book, you can find it on Amazon. So again, that's Big If True Adventures in Oddity. Not exactly the book of the week. Not quite the book of the week yet until I get my paws on it and I'll read it. And I'm sure most definitely it's going to be the book of the week. I'm excited to read it. Uh, it's got uh, it's got Chupacabra in it. Why would I not be excited to read it? And uh, Benjamin Radford's actually been to Arecibo. There's pictures online to prove it. So, uh, yeah, kind of a good tie-in to our sad but true story. Uh, but Big If True Adventures in Oddity, the future book of the week. But uh, definitely wanted to shout that thing out. And, uh, yeah, I'll let you know when I get it. Hopefully I can read it pretty Sure, it's going to be a good read. All his books are really good reads. If you've not read anything by Benjamin Radford, you're missing out. Yeah, he's a skeptic, but you know what? Sometimes we we need that little uh, leveling out of things. So again, Big If True Adventures and Oddity. You can find it on Amazon and I'm sure other online book retailers. But with that being said, again, I want to wish everybody here in the United States a happy and very safe Thanksgiving. Uh, please be safe. Think about other people. And I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>